Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 10th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. We're back, kind of. Tonight is our first episode of Colorado Inside Out Hybrid Edition. Two of our panelists are here in the studio with me, safely six feet away from me and each other. And two of our panelists are joining us from home. I want to assure all of you that we are taking all the appropriate safety precautions and considerations. Like a restaurant, we all wore our masks to the table. They're right here, and we're uh, six feet apart. Our usual 10-person crew is down to four. All of them are wearing masks, and they're six feet apart. So we're excited to be back in the studio safely. Let's get to it. We were off for the holiday last week, and of course, all, hell, all heck broke loose uh, in the news. So we have a lot to cover. On Election Day, John Hickenlooper cruised to victory in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate, setting the stage for an all-out battle on the TV airwaves with incumbent Cory Gardner. Meanwhile, primary challenger Lauren Boebert won the 3rd Congressional District Republican primary in an upset against five-term incumbent Scott Tipton. Although Tipton received Trump's endorsement, <coughs> Boebert met with the president days after her victory and said, I knew from the beginning I was more MAGA than my opponent. Patty Cahoon from Westward, it is so wonderful to see you in person. Uh, a whole lot of politics happening in these last two weeks, from Hickenlooper and Gardner to Bobert out of nowhere. Uh, take your pick. What struck out to you? Well, let's go with uh, Lauren Bobert because she is impossible to ignore. She was the surprise upset of this election, and she will give us a lot of refreshing things to talk about. As we know, she works at the Pistol Packing Shooters Grill and Rifle. She was disobeying some of the rules there. She wound up in a kerfluffle with that county. Everything seems to be back on the straight and narrow right now with her. But it was quite the upset, and it is going to be a wild ride. I mean, right after winning, she went and saw Trump at, uh, what was she at, at Mount Rushmore. I mean, she is going to be a rising star with a lot of media attention already. We've heard about her serving contaminated pork sandwiches. That made the national news three years ago at an event. She is going to get a lot of attention because people are tired of the same old subjects. To get to the same old subject, Hickenlooper, who people were getting kind of tired of. I think it's one of the reasons we saw so much about Romanoff, but it was not a surprise that Hickenlooper won easily over Romanoff. The surprise was kind of how boring he was into it. I think we will see Hickenlooper come back. The unplugged Hickenlooper will really be he will be gunning in a low Lauren Bobert way for Cory Gardner. <laughs> this is just one of the many reasons I have missed this. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I, when I look at the Bobert-Tipton race, I mean, clearly Bobert did her job and did it well. She could not have made that kind of an upset um, just by pure luck. But it also seemed that Tipton took her incredibly for granted. He didn't spend nearly a dime on the campaign, uh, so he really got caught flat-footed. How do you look at that CD3 race and then also how it might affect the grander U.S. Senate race? Well, and, right, and this is, as, as you said, it, he's, he's not the first uh, established incumbent who got surprisingly upset by a, uh, a, a flashy challenger who he didn't take seriously. I mean, that's how uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez uh, Won, won her primary against an even longer established in, incumbent. The political uh, handicappers in, in D.C. have changed the district, the rating of the district from safe Republican to likely Republican or leans Republican. Um, 
because obviously she's she's not necessarily known to the district as well as Tipton was, who was was established and, and safe for a lot of the voters. I think one of the you know, and, and of course, as Patty said, there's all this media attention on her, which obviously she attracts. Uh, some of it will be negative, some positive, but there there is a lot of energy. Um, her opponent is the Democrat Diane Mitch Bush, who lost to Tipton by eight points in in 2018. And 20, you know, 2018 was a very Democratic year. Um, I've been following Bush on Twitter, and you know they're very solid tweets for her point of view. But I will say that you know going back all year, that the sum of her opinions would make her a very mainstream candidate for Boulder City Council, but put her, I think, too far to the left of of that district. Which isn't to say she can't win, but that'll be a challenge for her. Um, for Romanoff. I hope that if we have President Biden, that Romanoff gets a, a good job in the Biden administration. He's, uh, he's, he's a good guy with a lot of sincerity and energy. Uh, he ran a mental health org- uh, organization in, in between his political runs, and he would be a, a, a good asset to any Democratic uh, administration. That's a good point. Let's get to our guests at home. Penn Tate, we're going to start with you. Penfield Tate, a former state lawmaker and an attorney with Tate Law. So, Penn... Um, you know, when we look at the primary that John Hickelooper had, uh, bruising is just one of the many different adjectives that might come up. But I don't know if anyone's really going to remember it. I mean, it's hard for us to remember last week, let alone a whole primary season. Uh, do you think he goes into the general election against Gardner particularly more bruised than anybody else? Or was there some real damage laid? You know, I think there was some real damage late, Dominic. I, I found it interesting um, toward the end of the primary cycle, Andrew was running the commercials where John, um, showing John repeatedly saying he didn't want to run for the U.S. Senate. He didn't think he'd be a very good senator. And I just thought it was clever that Cory Gardner picked up on that theme and started running commercials similar to that. And I think he did it because he knew it was striking a chord, not just with his Republican base, but with Democrats. There were a number of Democrats who felt that um, Hickenlooper should not have run for president, nor should he have run for Senate, even though he got the nomination. So I think he does come in bruised. And, you know, he and Corey are spending a ton of money on TV already. But I think John has a built-in potentially disadvantage because he doesn't like to negatively campaign and has been an outspoken critic about negative campaigning. So he may have to, to change that uh, a bit now. And the third, what I think is going to be interesting is I think Boebert's candidacy will potentially drive out um, more turnout for Corey, which will help him in the Senate race. But I'm not convinced. I, I, I appreciate David's comment that Diane may be too far left. I think Boebert may be too far right. And, and if she's tied too closely uh, to Trump as his prospects continue to, to ebb, I think that may... Um, have an effect on her, particularly given how Colorado has voted in the past. For our other remote guests from home, Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. It's wonderful to see you, Joey. Um, it, it feels to me that when we're looking at uh, Gardner and Hickenlooper, you have two folks, well, both of their uh, records in elections in Colorado are undefeated, so one of them is going to go down uh, for the first time. And you have uh, Hickenlooper and Gardner already, at least their own commercials, are striking that folksy, you know, Gardner packing up, going for a road trip, and Hickenlooper's already shed the jacket and they're being folksy. Who's going to out-folksy uh, the, the other in this campaign, especially learning lessons from six years ago in Mark Udall's failed campaign? 
Oh, I think this is going to be an election where less is more. You know, we've we've got two candidates here. You know, as the president says, experience is a very important word. But we've got two candidates that there may be some fatigue with. You know, Gardner wisely has tried to stay out of the, the limelight for a few months while the president is bringing negative headlines. But, you know, you know, John Hickenlooper has had his own set of negative headlines. And I sense this public fatigue out there. But then again, you know, people are going to be energized for that presidential race. And Ben makes an excellent point. You know, Lauren Boebert brings energy to this race. You know, she reminds people what they liked about Donald Trump. You know, she's fresh. She's energetic. She's got a message. You may not agree with it, but she has a message. So, um, you know, we were expecting Hickenlooper and Romanoff to be the uh, the show of the night. Turned out to be it turned out to be over on the Western Slope. But, you know, let's not bury the lead here. Western Colorado is going to be represented by a woman. I wish we were having a conversation talking about a woman representing us in U.S. Senate. But apparently Colorado is not ready to have that conversation yet. I think that's a crying shame. It's a great point, Joey. Let's get to it. More news. As Tri-County Health and the City of Aurora issue local mask mandates, Colorado school districts are deciding if and how students and staff will return to school next month. The pandemic has also caused a legal battle to break out between Bandemere Speedway and Jefferson County health officials. The county is seeking an injunction because the Speedway did not enforce COVID-19 safety measures during its 4th of July event. Uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to COVID issues, David. We're going to start with you on this one. Between the Bandemere legal battle, you have other things going on with schools and the whole local control issue there. Really a lot of things to choose. You take your pick. What do you think? Well, schools are the thing that affects the, the most people, and it, it's, a, it's a very tough set of decisions to make. I think if you put the interest of the students and the, the children first, it's a fairly clear answer is you, you go to a, a full reopening with, with safety measures, and that's what the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, has recommended. But, of course, they, they, you know, they ideally speak up for the interest of children. On the other hand, uh, you've got the, the teachers' unions, which make some, some fair points. Is, is first of all, you know, the, the, the CCP virus doesn't seem to be very bad for, for children, and the, the younger they are, the better. Uh, but for older people, like so teachers over 60, and especially those who have uh, pre-existing comorbidities, diabetes, obesity, uh, hypertension, you know, that, that could be a, a real danger for them, uh, at, at least potentially. Um, so I, I think the, I, I hate all this stuff on CNN about how we've got to do one thing or the other and like why Trump is so evil. It, it really ought to be a decision that's made school district by school district, de depending on the, the conditions there, you know, because Trinidad isn't the same as, as Denver and that's not the same as, as, as Grand Junction. But I would say, you know, and if schools do only open part of the time, you have the problem of, well, where are the kids going to be the other time? Maybe in daycare someplace else, which increases the risk of, uh, you know, cross-contamination. And in any case, and it makes it harder for parents to be able to go back to work with only a par partial reopen. Um, but to the extent that schools don't reopen, I think that the funding ought to go to the families so they can pay for, for tutoring or uh, uh, educate uh, tuition at a school that does open or whatever. It, it, it's time to put the children first, at least on the funding side. 
Penn, we're used to seeing uh, local control issues and debates when it comes to politics and school districts. It's not surprising and something that has been, Colorado's been in the middle of for quite a while. But in this case, you have a lot of new players to the game. I mean, just looking at counties, if you have Tri-County Health saying one thing and then Douglas County saying, well, now we're going to get out of Tri-County Health and we're going to change a mandate, and then you have a school district that is within a county, I mean, it gets a little crazy. So I, I understand and agree with, with David's local control point, but there's going to be a lot of patchwork politics going on here, um, and we're, it's all regarding the health and well-being of, I think, people that we can guarantee all of us agree upon, our children and teachers. So how do you think this is going to go down? Well, you know, Dominic, I think the patchwork will continue. And part of the problem is it's not just a patchwork of disagreement over policy, but unfortunately, politics has been injected into this when you have the president saying he's not wearing a mask for certain political reasons and people following on that. You know, when it comes to schools, I, I want to defer to the school boards and the school districts. They need to make the decisions that are best for their kids and their teachers, and they need to listen to what parents and families are saying, because I think if they act too precipitously or too recklessly, what's going to happen is people just aren't going to send their kids to school. And you can't blame them if they don't feel their kids are going to be safe and, and taken care of. And even though I think we all would agree that the best way to provide a quality education to a child is to have the child in the classroom, parents are not going to put their kids at risk just for the sake of a quality education um, for right now, because I think we all acknowledge that this may pass if not during 2020. During 2021, we may be on the other side of this or with some sort of vaccine in place. Just want to talk about the Bandemir situation real quickly. I'm just curious if anyone else has the sense that part of what's going on with that dispute is a sense from public officials that the Speedway just flat out lied to them about the precautions they were going to take and didn't do certain things because they never intended to do them on the front end. And if that's true, that's going to have a ripple effect in terms of other things that we'll have to deal with with trying to reopen our society. Joey, I think the, the Banner Speedway, as, as uh, uh, Penn referenced, is probably one of likely several different legal battles we're going to start seeing between counties and officials and events and all this kind of stuff, uh, all mired within a whole new era for things. Of how, how do we even deal with this? What do you take away from the COVID headlines from this week? Uh, I tell you what, first off, you know, let me again point out the obvious here. If you're spending a family holiday at a racetrack, then, I, I, you know, not wearing a mask is just another one of your problems. And before anybody Googles it, yeah, I have spent some holidays at Bandemir Speedway. So, you know, this is a, a situation that's going to touch every facet of life. We need to accept that. And, you know, let me repeat what the governor said yesterday. Wear the damn mask. I've got a column coming up out in the next week about, you know, some people who answered to the governor who refused, who have refused to wear a mask. I've got photographic proof of it, and I'm waiting on an open records request to find out what communication has been made within state government and within the responders about who's wearing masks and who's not wearing masks. At some point, we've all got to get together and agree on a common set of facts or, you know, our opportunities to stem this virus to stop this pandemic, and by God, have college football this fall all depend on us working together. Let's be Americans and stop being Republicans and Democrats.
<laughs> for the sake of Roll Tide, for the love of Pete, oh put God. on your mask. I get you. Uh, Patty, wrap it up for us. It seems that um, we're politicizing everything these days, but now we're even going to politicize how uh, we're going to send our kids back to school. What do you think? Well, uh, we have a month till school starts again, and you have cases increasing just about everywhere across the country. So it's very difficult to decide exactly what will be remotely safe or what will be put kids in the best position. Although you can see that getting them out of the house and getting them into instruction and getting the parents some relief probably is going to be the best way to go. But this mask issue is exploding right now. The Bandemir Speedway, I saw pictures from a friend who was there. They were definitely over 175 people, which was what they were supposed to sell for tickets. You have Golden today just making masks mandatory. You have Aurora making masks mandatory. You have Hancock, who had a press conference at 11 today, reminding everyone that masks are mandatory in Denver. You have Polis talking about wear your goddamn mask. If you don't want to wear your I mask, you just wear your damn mask. I oh, mean, damn your that, mask! That, that, that was a, a, a Patty Calhoun addition, just for that. I just want to be sure. You're Sorry, people. We, we, Sorry, we, people. We, I've been I on my own too long. With that. <laughs> just your damn mask. God, keep God out of it, because everyone else is bringing God into it. Um, just if you don't want to wear your mask, go to a county or a state. I was just in one where they don't wear their masks. But let Colorado and the municipalities, which are trying to control their situation be able to control it. On Monday, Greenwood Village Council voted unanimously to pass a resolution stating that the city will pay the legal expenses of its police officers who are sued. The resolution came as a response to the new state law that states that police officers will face personal financial liability for misconduct on the job if it is found that they acted in bad faith. Meanwhile, the investigation to Elijah McClain's police custody death is ongoing, along with investigations into police use of force on demonstrators in recent weeks. Uh, Penn, we're going to you with this one first. Um, there's a whole lot coming out in the city of Aurora, uh, making national headlines. And then you have Greenwood Village saying, hey, I know the state law. We're, this is what we mean to do around it. Their resolution was pretty clear, but the mayor made it even uh, clearer about what their intent was. When you see these actions, what we're, what we're dealing with, uh, what, are you, what are you thinking about? You know, I, I appreciate that, that, that Greenwood Village the, the city council had the right to make the decision. It's just unfortunate. I think what they're going to find out and have found out is they're completely out of step, not just with their residents, but with the times. It, understanding how the law works, what they're basically saying is that if our officers are sued and have been found to have misbehaved and have violated rights, that we're going to pay any judgment they may be subject to or pay the penalty for their misconduct. And that's why you saw people protesting and marching in Greenwood Village of all places and calling for the potential recall of some of those city council people because they're saying, wait, aren't you paying attention? The whole point of what's going on, not just in Colorado, but around the country is we want more accountability, not less accountability. We don't want our tax dollars to go to pay for people who have misbehaved. We're not saying all police officers misbehave, but we're saying those that do need to be dealt with. And so I think they made a serious political and practical miscalculation. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because elected officials at different levels that represent Greenwood Village have criticized this. And as I said, they've got their own people marching in the street. And when was the last time you saw a protest march in Greenwood Village? 
Uh, make, a, make a pretty fair point there, Penn. Uh, Joey, Aurora Mayor Mike Hoffman barely got used to his uh, new seat at his desk uh, being elected mayor of Aurora before really everything broke loose. Now he has uh, a national focus on an investigation of police officers in his own city. He has other officers being uh, fired uh, and or fined for uh, responding to said arrest. Uh, what, are you, what are you thinking that's going on in Aurora and how the response is so far? Well, you know, Aurora's had these problems for a long time. You know, this isn't a new battle for Aurora or Denver. And it's a crying shame, you know, what happened with Elijah McClain and, and the way the officers responded to it. it. It just couldn't be worse. It was, you know, it was a blemish on the on the reputation of police officers everywhere when one of them does that. You know, the thing in Green, you know, Tate and I should move to Greenwood Village and open up a political consulting firm because this was about as boneheaded a political move as I've ever seen in my life. You know, timing is 75 percent of politics and the timing of this was just terrible. And, you know, even in Denver, a city as liberal as Denver, people got tired of paying out huge settlements, millions of dollars for, for things that never should have happened in the first place, things none of us would have done. So, you know, there will be a referendum on what happened with the city council down there. And it's whether it's a recall election or the next election, I, I look for there to be new faces on that city council. You know, that's that's just the perilous times we live in. We're living in perilous times for human rights. We're living in perilous times for politics. You know, it's time for people to step up and do the right thing. And doing the right thing has never been more complicated. Patty, it seems that Greenwood Village is doing whatever it can to protect its police officers, but it's also raised the ire of state lawmakers who are looking to close any potential loophole. Uh, all the various headlines around uh, protests the last two weeks, what stands out to you? Well, with Greenwood Village, you think, couldn't you maybe have waited till you actually had an incident which that brought it up? You already have uh, Leslie Harrod, who's saying, I'm going to introduce a legislative, you know, something to take care of it. Leroy Gar Garcia will take care of it in the legislature. Greenwood Village didn't need to take this move and certainly didn't need to do it now. In Aurora, Joey's absolutely right. We've got 13 instances the ACLU had documented of people before the Elijah McClain case who had been people of color who'd been mistreated by the authorities. You've got investigations going on. The irony is most of the council's new. Mayor Kaufman is new. The interim police chief is new. But they've inherited a lot of old bad habits and very old bad cases. And let's point to one thing in that police reform bill that is good, the body camera rule. Because there were, the body cameras were dislodged during the Elijah McClain incident, we really don't know what absolutely happened. Didn't make the national media because there was no video. Now we're going to have video in most cases, and it'll show if the cops were acted right or wrong, and that's good. David, lots of legal options on this one. Take your pick. Well, I think a lot of the media coverage on the Greenwood Village thing has been uh, weak on explaining what the actual law is. Back in February... I testified in a Colorado House committee in favor of the bill that event, what eventually became the, the Senate bill uh, that was enacted. And I testified at the request of the ACLU. I support the reform and also said that the proponents should sit down with law enforcement and work out uh, something that, that, that's fair to all sides, and, and ultimately they, they did, to Senator Herod's credit. There's a doctrine called qualified immunity which says you can only sue an individual law enforcement officer if the law enforcement officer's act violated something, law that was clearly established. 
And the problem is there's lots of things in law that are not clearly established, even though somebody may have been inappropriately injured. And so because of that, the, the new law says it doesn't have to be clearly established at all. In fact, the finding that the officer made the, violated the law might only come in the court case involving this thing. So the officer really had no prior notice that it was uh, – there, there, was, there was nothing clearly established. And so in that situation, uh, Greenwood Village is saying, we will pay the expenses of the officer. And it actually, in a way, I think is an improvement because you still can't sue the city or the police department unless you can prove they had a pattern or practice of encouraging violation of something that was clearly established. But now Greenwood Village is stepping up and saying, if it wasn't clearly established, we'll still pay the damages. It's time to get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, we are looking at a bad summer right now in Denver, eight homicides in eight days. But despite what Patrick Neville says, this is not the summer of violence because even the summer of violence back in 93 wasn't as violent. Let's have everyone actually pay attention to real history. We're in trouble now because we haven't. David. The people who destroyed the statue of Frederick Douglass in his hometown in uh, uh, Rochester, New York, the people who destroyed the Elk statue in downtown Portland, the people who vandalized the memorial to the Armenian victims of the Armenian genocide at the Colorado State Capitol. Um, it, it's the same old playbook from Chairman Mao's Cultural Revolution. Destroy all the old habits, old thoughts, old customs, old culture, old ideas. And that's the classic totalitarian Marxist attempt to destroy a, a culture's memory of itself so that they can impose their uh, utopian evil. Penn. Uh, Greenwood Village City Council, um, pay attention and, and you, you know, get a sense of, of not just your constituents, but what's going on around you before you take this sort of um, uh, political action that you know is going to make you a lightning rod. Joey. Uh, people defending Confederate statues. Now, Frederick Douglass, George Washington, um, that's one thing that, you know, if, when you're out defending, you know, traitors and racists, you know, that's a history we should be ashamed of, not one we should be parading on the on the town square. Time to say something nice rather quickly. Patty. The White House, and I'll never be able to do this again because at a press briefing this week, the press secretary admitted that the Armenian massacre was a genocide in, refer in referencing our statue. David. Ms. Patricia Calhoun, it has been such a, a blessing for me to be able, for the last 22 years, to be able to hang out with her every week, this titan of Denver journalism. And it's, Patty, it's great to see you in three dimensions again. Here, here. Penn. Um, Jenna Griswold, um, you know, I, to the extent there's, a, there's controversy over mail-in ballots, Colorado's elections were flawless again, and I'm glad to see she's become a national leader in terms of speaking out about the strength and, and the fairness of uh, mail-in balloting. Joey. Uh, State Highway Director Shoshana Liu, she continues to impress me on many, on many fronts. This week, she announced the Safer Main Street Project, which will take state, federal, and local money and put it into curbing uh, pedestrian and cyclist deaths, and I think that's that's smart thinking, and I appreciate her work on that. 
And I certainly want to uh, one more say something nice about my Uncle Richard. It's his birthday today. All these birthdays are landing right on the days of taping. Happy birthday, Uncle Richard Rotola. It's good uh, uh, from your favorite nephew. Uh, and I also want to thank the crew here. There is a lot of folks that come together to make all this possible. We're back in the studio safely. Uh, a lot of people doing a lot of work, especially our director, Stephen Zinn. Stephen, thank you very much for making this happen, whether it be from home or from the studio. I think if you had enough duct tape and bailing wire, you can make it happen at the top of a mountain. So thanks for making all this possible. And thanks to all of you for watching tonight. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic DiZutti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.